NBA Summer League may be over, but the MLB draft is just beginning. The basketball tournament and other pro-am tournaments give fans a chance to see multiple former Zags in action, and we are discussing a little bit of everything today for Mailbag Monday, including some potential lineups and minute distribution for next season, expected development for the two freshman guards or incoming sophomore guards, Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, and some scheduling hypotheticals, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Some of you have been listening to this podcast since the very, very beginning. Some of you are much, much newer to the show either way. I appreciate every single one of you who is tuning into the show. I appreciate those of you as well who have checked out the show on YouTube. If you haven't done so yet, go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags. You'll find the channel, every video for every episode we've done. They're sectioned out so you can find all of the guests, all of the Mailbag Monday episodes, whatever your heart's desire. They're all there for you. Just go to youtube.com. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers before the start of the college basketball season. We're just about at 800, so I know we can get there. So head out that way if you haven't done so just yet. And this is a reminder for most of you, but those of you who are new to Mailbag Monday, if you want to get involved, there are multiple ways you can do so. You can tweet at me at ScoreZagsScore or at LockedOnZags whenever you are thinking of a question. Helps if you tag at Mailbag Monday, but either way, I'll put it in the notes. I'll try to get it out into the show. I also tweet on Sunday morning soliciting questions. If you respond to that tweet, you will get your questions in the show. And of course, you can email me, AndyBatten013 at gmail.com whenever you are thinking of a question or multiple questions, and that's another way to get your questions into the show. All right, let us get right into it today. This first question here in segment one comes from Spring28 on Twitter, who says, how do you see this year's rotation starting out? If it's a bigger ro- bigger rotation, like eight or nine, do you think it's something that could last until late in the season? We just have so many good players, and sometimes I think our six to seven man rotation hurts us a little. Spring28, you are not the only person thinking of this question. Eric at EA Stone 17 on Twitter also asked, if you were few, how would you split the minutes? Would you stay the course with the elite and proven guys or would you platoon the lineups? We're talking lineups today, folks, here to start it out in segment one. I'm sure we'll have multiple other conversations about this as the season comes forward once we get a better sense of how everybody's going to put together. I'm going to give out kind of my projection slash kind of what I think that I would do. Obviously, I am not as informed on all of these basketball players as, you know, Mark Few is or somebody like that. But I will admit that I think that the six or seven, it's its rarely ever been six, but it has been seven and it has been a soft eight man rotation in the past. And I do think that there is some definitely some credence to the idea that some players are, are seem a bit more fatigued or they, they wear down a little earlier in the season and perhaps playing more players throughout the season would alleviate some of those concerns. I think that 
that is a legitimate criticism of Mark Few, one of the, the more common ones that we see from people, particularly people who watch every Gonzaga game. It's like, why are these players playing 32, 34, 36 minutes per game in situations where they maybe don't need to do so? So here's my pass at it for right now. Just uh, the, the players I'd have in the rotation and roughly how many minutes per game I would have them play. I made sure this added up to the correct number of minutes, uh, but obviously there would be some shuffling around position-wise. Uh, the nice thing about this roster is I think there's a lot of players who can play a lot of different positions, so you can kind of move some pieces around a little bit. I'll let Mark figure out how to actually do that. But here are the the guys, uh, The starting with my starting lineup, starting at five, num- Drew Timmy. Very obvious there, no, no debate there. I have him playing 28 minutes per game because that's what he's played each of the last two seasons, and I don't really think that that's going to change all that much heading into this year. Julian Strother starting at the four. Uh, no guarantee that that's just, this is going to happen. I think he's going to start for sure, but he could start at the three like he did last year. For my money, I'm starting him at the four. I'm playing him about 28 minutes per game as well. Uh, starting at the three, or it's a three-guard lineup, so I guess your, your three in this situation would be Rasir Bolton. I have him also playing 28 minutes per game. Again, keeping it fairly consistent there. Uh, starting at the two, Hunter Salas. I kind of debated for a long time whether I would start Salas or whether I would start Hickman. One of those two guys I think is going to come off the bench. One of those two guys is going to start. I have them both playing the same number of minutes, so I'm not sure that it matters all of that much. I have Salas starting and playing 22 minutes per night. And then your fifth and final starter, Chattanooga transfer Malachi Smith. I have Smith playing 28 minutes as well. So four starters playing roughly 28 minutes per game. Malachi, or excuse me, no one, excuse me, Hunter Salas playing 22 minutes as the fifth starter. And then, of course, coming off the bench, Nolan Hickman also playing 22 minutes per game. Uh, He'd be your sixth or seventh man. Your other guard can play the traditional point guard position and shift Malachi over to a combo guard. Uh, Could also play off the ball potentially as well. And then, of course, Anton Watson. I have Anton Watson playing 18 minutes per game because Anton Watson, you kind of just pencil him in for about 18 minutes per game. That's what he's done the last couple of years. I had a question on Mailbag Monday last week kind of asking what I anticipated Anton Watson's role to be next season. And I think it's going to be more of the same. He's been very consistent. He plays off. He's the first guy off the bench, 18 minutes per night, decent low post score, tenacious defensive player doesn't offer a whole lot else offensively. I think we're going to see a a pretty similar player. Maybe we'll see some improvements in certain areas, but I think he's going to have a pretty similar role next season. And then the final two guys in the rotation, I have it as a nine-man rotation. We know that's a lot for few, so we'll see if he's able to make that work, but I have a hard time not imagining these nine guys all getting minutes. Uh, You have your five starters, you have Hickman, you have Watson, then you have Efton Reed, who I have playing about 13 minutes per game. That's basically every minute that Drew Timmy is not playing. I don't know that it would necessarily shake out exactly that way, but that's kind of how it's penciled in right here. And then finally, last but not least, Dominic Harris. Uh, Harris being the other guard coming off the bench. I have him playing about 13 minutes per night. Again, all of these minutes add up to the correct number of minutes. Certainly in garbage time situations, you would see more of Ben Gregg, of Caden Perry, potentially Braden Huff if he does not redshirt. Uh, and then, of course, Martinez Orlowskis and the walk-ons as well. All right, next question comes from user DadRisk on Twitter. DadRisk says, Any concerns that Gonzaga only has one true point guard on the team this year? Smith's passing and playmaking abilities seem more theoretical at this point, and the other three guards I can't envision playing the one much at all. I disagree about Malachi Smith. Malachi Smith's a point guard. I, I think he. I think Nolan Hickman's a bit more of a traditional point guard, although I'm not sure how much that that really 
matters. I think if you were to talk about what a traditional point guard is, nobody would consider Jalen Suggs a traditional point guard, and yet he was Gonzaga's point guard for that entire season, and he is the Orlando Magic point guard. Uh, While he should probably play off the ball a little bit more in the NBA, I, I don't think that the traditional aspect really matters all of that much. Um, Malachi Smith, I mean, he's a legitimate point guard. He's a score first point guard, and that is a little bit different. Again, that was also Suggs' skill set, but he reminds me a lot of Ryan Woolridge. Ryan Woolridge scored a bunch of points at North Texas. He was a score first point guard, but when he got to Gonzaga and was asked to slightly adjust his role to be more of a facilitator uh, to to get the ball to other players who are very capable of scoring and, and taking more of that the pressure on him to score was was removed, which is going to be the same with Malachi Smith. He's not at Chattanooga anymore. He's not the focal point of the opposing team's defense. I think you're going to see him go through a similar progression. And for Woolridge, he was Gonzaga's point guard. Like That was the role that he fulfilled that season, and he did it very well. And he was there was no issue of whether he was a real point guard or not. That was that was his role. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that with Malachi Smith. Uh, so to answer the question, no, I'm not really concerned about it. I do think that Gonzaga's like depth at the more standard point guard position is a little weaker when you look at previous years, like Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nempart and Aaron Cook all on the same team. Like that's a lot of dudes who play point guard. Like that's a lot of guys who traditionally play that position. This year's roster doesn't have that much. It's worth pointing out, Rasir Bolton was a point guard at Iowa State. Like, that was the role that he played. He was not asked to do that for Gonzaga last year. So if I would be surprising to see Gonzaga ask him to do that this year, although I think he is capable of doing it. Dominic Harris, I also think, is capable of playing the point guard role. But again, we haven't really, we haven't gotten a chance to see him do that at Gonzaga yet, through no fault of his own. Obviously, the injury last year was the significant deterrent for that, but I do think that Gonzaga is a little bit thinner on traditional point guard depth than they've been in the past, but I don't think I think Malachi Smith's going to be more than capable of filling in any gaps in that area that that Hunter Sal or excuse me that Nolan Hickman is, is unable to do. Next question comes from EA Stone 17 on Twitter, second of the show for Eric. He says, "How will the duo of Nolan and Hunter perform having a year under their belts?" Pretty darn good would be my assumption here. I think we're going to see improvements from both of them. Gonzaga's development system has been so, so good over the last few years, I mean, decades, really. At least the last decade has been excellent at getting guys to really take significant leaps forward uh, within a year. We've seen some guys who are more on the two, three, four-year development plan. That has happened, but for the most part, we see guys take really big leaps from year one to, to year two. We see it from guards. We saw it from Andrew Nemhard. We saw it from Julian Strother last year. We've seen it from bigs. Drew Timmy was a big one. He was very good as a freshman, but he exploded as a sophomore. Philip Petrusev, DeMontis Sabonis were guys who took big leaps forward as sophomores as well. Gonzaga's good at this. They're very good at getting guys in, getting them acclimated, getting them used to the college level, the game. And both those guys were good last year. And now you're talking about a program that already develops players really well from year one to year two. And you're talking about the two highest rated recruits in school history who are returning for a sophomore year. These are the two best dudes ever, according to the to the high school rankings, who are returning to Gonzaga for their sophomore season. That 
understandably has some expectations pretty darn high. Now, there's a lot of other guard talent on this roster, which is the biggest deterrent for them really like exploding and being super, super legitimate NBA prospects, you know, most improved player of the year candidates. The biggest thing that's stopping them is just, are they going to play enough minutes per night in order to do that? One of these guys is probably not starting. It's possible that both of them are coming off the bench, although unlikely it is possible that a starting lineup next year is Malachi Smith, Rissier Bolton, Julian Strother, Anton Watson, Drew Timmy. That's a realistically possible starting lineup that would not include either Hickman or or Salas. But both those guys are going to play a lot of minutes next year. Both those guys are going to show improvements. Salas, I think we're going to see a player who's more aggressive offensively, who's hunting his own shot, who's more willing to pull the trigger from beyond the arc. In Nolan Hickman, we're going to see a more consistent player. He kind of faded down the stretch. I don't think we're going to see that from him this year. Uh, Another guy who I think is going to be more aggressive looking for his own shots, his own looks, and I think a player who's going to be improved on the defensive end as well. So I'm excited to see what both these guys do in year two. My expectations are pretty high, and I think based on Gonzaga's track record and these two guys' pedigree coming into the program, there's a good reason for them to be high. Final question of the segment is another one from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, more likely Strother leads the team in scoring or is fourth or lower on the team in scoring next year. Well, I don't think either of these things are likely, which I think is why the question was posed the way that it was, is because he's much more likely to finish second or third. I think I'm pretty much willing to write that in pen at this point that he's going to finish one of those two spots. If I had to pick which of these is more likely, I think it's fourth or lower To be clear, I don't think that that's particularly likely, but I think Drew Timmy is going to lead this team in scoring. He does every single year. You can pretty much put him in for 19, 20 points per game. I don't think he's magically going to have gotten figured out coming into this year. I don't think he's going to suddenly be worse at finishing around the rim this year. I think he's going to be as good or better than he has been in the last few years. And considering how much Gonzaga loves to pound the ball in the paint, I think he's going to be good for 18, 20 points per game again next season. And then again, I think Strother's probably second, but it wouldn't shock me if Malachi Smith, you know, he's a 41% three-point shooter. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. If he just does some really creative stuff with the basketball, I could see him scoring 15, 16 points per game somewhere in there. And I think if Strother's maybe doesn't quite take the steps forward we expect him to do as a shooter, or even if he just goes through a couple cold stretches, which is something we saw from him last year, that could be enough for him to be more in the 14-15 points per game range. So I could see him finishing third behind Malachi Smith. It's really hard for me to imagine somebody else. Like, I I don't think Bolton's going to score more points per game than Julian Strother. I would be very surprised if anybody else did. Anton Watson, Efton Reed, Hickman, Salas. It It would be surprising. Very surprising if any of those guys scored more points per game than Strother. So, again, don't think it's very likely that he finishes fourth, but I I have a hard time imagining him finishing first either. I just think Drew Timmy's so locked in for the role that he's going to have next year that I think he's going to be the guy who leads Gonzaga in scoring when all is said and done uh, in this upcoming season. All right, we're going to go come back in the second segment. We got even more listener-submitted questions. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. 
Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. And if you have been curious which NFL stars move the betting line the most, starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, segment two, still answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. Talking schedules here. This question comes from Sentient TK on Twitter, who says... Since you just posted about the non-conference schedule, who do you think will be our toughest matchup and why? Which positions are we outmatched in and what do you think the game plan will be? So Baylor, Baylor is going to be the answer here. I think they're a better basketball team than Michigan State. I think they're a better basketball team than Texas. They're a better basketball team than Alabama. The PK-85, obviously Duke, Florida, Purdue, there's a lot of really good teams in there that Gonzaga could end up facing, but I don't know who they're going to face. So I'm going to focus on a team that we know for sure Gonzaga is going to face, and that is the Bears out of Baylor. They're going to be tough. Keontae George is an absolute machine. Flo Thamba is their big man. He was a he really, really wrecked Drew Timmy a couple years ago. He's still there, and he's still going to be a problem. Uh, he's only gotten better in his last couple of years. Scott Drew is an excellent coach, and I think that they're going to just hammer Gonzaga's weaknesses. This team is very similar to the 1920 team. The same team that lost, or excuse me, the 2021 team, the same team that lost to Baylor in the national championship. So Baylor's going to try to do a lot of the same stuff. They're going to try to get Drew Timmy out on switches away from the rim. They're going to relentlessly attack the post because Gonzaga does not have the rim protection that they had last year with Chet Holmgren. They just don't have it on this year's roster. Efton Reed, Anton Watson, not great rim protectors. Drew Timmy is okay, but it's not really a strong suit of his. And I think they're going to be very, very physical with Gonzaga's guards, especially the younger guards with Hickman, with Salas. Those guys, I think we're going to see a Baylor team that's physical, that gets out and puts pressure on Gonzaga's guards as soon as they cross half court, that gets Drew Timmy out and switches and tries to exploit those matchups. And it's going to be a tough one. They're a very well-coached team, a very, very talented team. I think Gonzaga has more talent on paper on this roster than Baylor does, but this Baylor team is, is one of the 10 or so, maybe five best teams in the country next year. And they're going to bring everything they got for that game in Sioux Falls against Gonzaga on December 2nd. Next question comes from at MillerMike123 on Twitter, who says, which, if any, whack teams would you like to see Gonzaga schedule? Those teams are likely going to be aggressive and it would nice, be nice to see more middle-of-the-pack non-conference games. The whack may be slightly below middle, but it's better than 10 Bellarmines like we often see. Yeah, so the WAC changed their scheduling so that the their um, tournament is based on some strength of schedule metrics and some Ken Palm metrics. It's a little bit different than just your actual conference record. So we the hope 
with this is that the WAC will start to schedule some more tougher non-conference games as a way to boost their schedule and boost their Ken Palm ratings and potentially move up in the standings. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there are definitely some teams in the WAC that I would like to see Gonzaga schedule as a non-conference game. Uh, Seattle U is always going to be my pick for this. Uh, it is because in part, I am an alumni from Seattle U. I got my degree from Gonzaga in 2013. I got my master's degree from Seattle U in 2015. Uh, so I've been around the program. I, I'm familiar with the coaching staff. I'm familiar with some of the players, some of the front office people over there. Uh, it, it's a regional game, obviously, Seattle versus Spokane, East versus West. You know, getting a chance to play both Washington and Seattle U in the same year would be kind of fun. And Seattle is a growing program. Chris Victor is a very, very good new coach over there. They lost Darian Tremell. He was their best player last year. He transferred to San Diego State. Uh, but they still have some really good players. Cameron Tyson is awesome. I think this is a really good team, and I think it'd be fun to see Gonzaga get a chance to play them. Cal Baptist is on my list as well. I think Cal Baptist is going to be very, very good this upcoming season. Taron Armstrong, one of the best guards in the entire NCAA. It would be fun for Gonzaga fans to just see, watch him for 40 minutes and see how much damage he can cause. Uh, obviously, New Mexico State, always a, a powerhouse out of the whack. Uh, they're a fun team, but I, I, I would rather see them play Seattle U just for the regional reasons. And I'd rather see them play Cal Baptist because I think that they have the most fun player that's in the entire WAC conference. And so it would be cool to get a chance to, to play against him. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, what are Joel Ayayi's chances of making the Atlanta Hawks roster? Can you assess his summer league performance and discuss options for Joel for the upcoming season? I feel his ability to be effective without the ball, rebound, and make players around him better could get him meaningful minutes. Yeah, so I am going to shamelessly plug that I was going to do a deep and am going to do a deep dive video breakdown on Joel Ayayi at my new website, scorezagscore.com. You can, you can read all of the content on the site for free. It is completely free to go there. You can also subscribe to my Patreon. If you subscribe to the Patreon, you get to vote on my next big articles. A big article on Joel Eiei basically answering all these questions was one of the options to vote for for this last series. It lost, unfortunately, which is why I have not written it yet but I am going to write it. I'm still going to get that content out there. So definitely check back on Scorezag Score for a more detailed write-up about this topic. Still going to give you an answer here, though. He needs to prove he can score. The NBA is about scoring. He is a he's a decent defensive player. He's a good rebounding guard. He's got good instincts as a passer. He does make his teammates better. He cuts really well without the basketball. But at the end of the day, with the ball in his hands, he has not proven that he can score consistently at the NBA level. He just finished up summer league averaging less than six points per game. He averaged 5.8 rebounds per game, two and a half assists per game, one and a half steals per game. All of that is fantastic. But at the end of the day, if you play 20 minutes per night, you score less than six points per game. You shoot 22% from three. It's really, really hard for an NBA team to give you one of their precious roster spots. I do not think that Joel Eiei is going to make the Atlanta Hawks roster out of summer camp, summer league. I do not think that it is going to happen. I think that he will get other opportunities. I think that there's a chance he does sign a two-way with somebody. I think that there is enough skill in what he does to, to be an NBA player. I really firmly believe that he should be an NBA player. But for two years in a row, the Summer League, which is not set up for his skill set, Summer League is more of a free-for-all. It's more of for guys who can just go get buckets. You know, you're seeing Joe, uh, Chet Holmgren do crossover step-back threes. He's probably not going to do that in the regular season as often, but that's more what Summer League is like, and it's not conducive to Joel's skill set. But unfortunately, he needs to prove he can do that in order to get a chance to be in the NBA. So I think he's going to have a similar year this year where he's going to spend most of his time in the G League. He might make a couple of appearances at the NBA level, but 
until he proves that he can be a knockdown 37 plus percent three point shooter, I think his odds of landing a legitimate NBA contract are fairly slim. Next question comes from Josh Edits on Twitter. Josh says, is the conference realignment craze a phase or the new normal? Breaking conferences into nothing but loosely affiliated TV revenue share groups seem short-sighted and bound to hurt fan interests. Not that the NCAA or ADs care. Not sure that NCAA will survive this blunder or should. Uh, so I want to say something here. Uh, the, the demise of the NCAA has been prophesized for uh, just about every single thing that has happened in the NCAA for the past 30 years, and it's still here. So no, I'm not worried about that. People thought one and done was going to ruin it. People thought NIL was going to ruin it. People thought, you know, insert whatever that you want to insert. Other rounds of conference realignment were going to ruin the NCAA. Nothing has ruined the NCAA. I do not think anything is going to ruin the NCAA. I do think that this is not over. Notre Dame has not made a decision yet. I think if Notre Dame does commit to either joining the Big Ten or completely joining the ACC or going to SEC or whatever decision they may make, there's going to be some more dominoes that fall. Maybe we'll see some something happen with Oregon and Washington, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, I think Gonzaga could absolutely get involved. I've said on this podcast, I believe if I have to make a prediction that Gonzaga will be in the Big East in the next couple of years, or at least make an announcement to be in the Big East in the next couple of years. I, I think it hurts the fans some. It hurts fans that, you know, if, for using Gonzaga as an example, if they were to do this, we'd all of a sudden have probably like 3 p.m. games on Fridays. It would be much harder to travel to away games. It's very difficult to get tickets to home games. So like, yeah, there, there are some negative impacts here. Uh, for USC fans who maybe don't live in L.A. but live in the Bay Area, for example, they probably got to see their team a couple times a year. Now they may not get to do that. Yeah, so there are there are some negatives here, certainly. Uh, I don't think that it is going to collapse the NCAA. I don't think that it is going to... But I also don't think it's going to stop. I think that this kind of conference realignment is going to continue to happen until if the NCAA puts some kind of moratorium on it, says, hey, we cannot continue to do this. But the NCAA is a free market. They're going to continue to let teams do whatever is best for them financially. You could make arguments on whether that is the just or correct thing to do, and I'm probably going to agree with you. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think there's anything that's going to happen that's going to dramatically impact the NCAA's ability to continue to function as a huge for-profit organization. Final question of the segment comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, if you were going to put together a family feud team to play a team of St. Mary's players, what coaches and four players would you have on the Gonzaga team and the St. Mary's team? So I hope this is historical. I was not going with current players for either team. I went with historical players because I thought that would be more fun. For coaches, I just went few versus Bennett. It's the most fun way to line it up. Uh, those two teams are competing. The biggest rivalry between those two teams is few and Bennett. So I think you've got to have those two guys being your coaches. Uh, for the players, for the, uh, the Gonzaga side, I picked Roni Turioff, uh, Stephen Gray, Rob Sacre, and Nigel Williams-Goss. Uh, intelligent guys, funny guys, charismatic guys. I think that was kind of an important aspect from the amount of family feud that I've watched in my life. You want people who can correctly answer questions, but you also want people who are fun and vibrant and, and add a lot of personality. And I think this was the, the best group uh, that I could find out, out of the Gonzaga players. Uh, and then for the St. Mary's side, obviously I know a lot less about those guys kind of personality-wise than I do with the Gonzaga guys. But uh, the four guys that I picked here, uh, Omar Samhan, easy, because he is so hated. This is a feud, right? Family feud. If these two sides are fighting, I think you've got to have Omar Samhan in there. 
Uh, I put Stephen Holt in there. Steve Holt, uh, one of my favorite St. Mary's players of all time. Uh, Jesuit high school alumni, really, really talented player for them. Uh, a, a bit quieter, maybe doesn't fit into that realm as much, but very, very talented kid. Uh, and then I put Clint Steindl, who is married to uh, Kayla Standish, a Gonzaga women's basketball player. So that kind of adds some more of the family aspect to it a little bit, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, and then Tommy Cousy. Tommy Cousy was in college for like 10 years. So you'd think that he would have a lot of like trivia knowledge. So I think that he kind of works, works well uh, for that St. Mary's team as well. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third and final segment, answer more listener-submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines on coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three. Still any patents, still locked on Zags. Still answering listener submitted questions here for Mailbag Monday. This next one is a group of questions from Jacob Quarter Two on Twitter. He says, I just watched the first Matrix movie and it is fantastic. So these questions I've phrased are based off the iconic Morpheus pill scene. I will present to you two sets of three pills. You pick one pill from each set. All right. So we all, we're all feeling good about the rules. Here we go. Pick one. These are all player-related pills, and I get to pick one of them. The purple pill. Gonzaga loses to Florida in the Sweet 16 in 1999, ending the magical run prematurely, but the 2003 team is able to have a magical run as they are able to beat Arizona in the second round. Green pill. J.P. Batista hits the shot at the buzzer and beats UCLA in 2006, but Jalen Suggs misses the buzzer beater in 2021, and the Zags lose in overtime. And then finally, the blue pill. The 2013 Zags are able to prevent getting upset against Wichita State and get a true crack at the tournament, but the 15-16 team of Destiny falls short in the WCC Championship and fail to make the tournament. This is a tough one. I'm going to pick the blue pill. Selfishly, I was a senior in college during that 2013 season, and when they lost to Wichita State, it was a devastating end to my collegiate career and my time following the Zags as a student, so I would change that. Yes, it means that the streak of NCAA tournament appearances would have ended in 2015, 2016. But frankly, I'm okay with that. Streaks are a little bit overrated. I'm just going to say it. Do I think that that 15-16's run, team's run, beating Utah in the second round, going all the way to the Sweet 16 was awesome? Hell yeah, it was fantastic. But in this situation, I would I, I would rather have this than picking any of the other pills. So I would take the blue pill. We'd get to see what that Gonzaga team could do after they beat Wichita State. But we'd unfortunately see the streak fall short uh, for the future. All right, one more grouping of these types of questions. The red pill. Zach Norvell comes back from the 19 for the nineteen twenty season and takes another small step forward in his development, but there's still no tournament played and he is still not drafted. Orange pill. Adam Morrison loses the National Player of the Year award outright to J.J. Redick, but the team is able to beat UCLA in 2006, even though they lose to Memphis in the Elite Eight. 
And then the yellow pill, Shemek Karnowski does not hurt his back and plays the entire 15-16 season healthy, but he does not come back for the 16-17 season because there is no need for the medical redshirt. So yeah, I'm taking the orange pill in this situation, which means that the Zags would beat UCLA, still lose the Elite Eight to Memphis. I don't really care that Morrison split National Player of the Year with J.J. Redick. And I mean, like, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's cool that Adam Morrison has that, that Gonzaga has a National Player of the Year winner. But eh, I would get rid of that easily to not have to look at pictures of Adam Morrison crying for the rest of my life on social media at every opposing game. I'm, I'm done with those. So if we could get rid of that, yeah, Morrison doesn't get Player of the Year, whatever. Everybody would still remember him. He would still be remembered. I don't think it would change all of that much. The other stuff, I think Shem on that 16-17 team was so, so, so fun, so I wouldn't want to get rid of that. The Norvell one just doesn't move the needle for me all that much. Having him back for another year would be great. It uh, would have been fun to see him on that 19-20 team, but if there's still no NCAA tournament, eh, I don't really care all that much. All right, final question of the show. Another one from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, what are the opportunities for women's hoopsters other than the WNBA? What hoop streams are former Lady Zags pursuing? Jill Townsend, Jen and Leanne Worth, others? Yes, there's a ton of European leagues, just like there is with the NBA. There's there's a ton of overseas basketball being played uh, throughout Europe, throughout parts of Asia, throughout South, South American countries. There's tons of options. Uh, they're less lucrative than the men's side, which is the same as it is in the United States, unfortunately. Uh, we, most WNBA players play overseas. Courtney Vandersloot has played overseas every, basically every year that she's been in the WNBA. It's part of the reason that the league, that the Zags have had such a hard time finding a time to retire her jersey number because she's out of town. The WNBA season happens over the summer. It's happening right now. And then she goes and plays, I think she played in Turkey last year, I believe, uh, with her her Chicago Sky teammate and wife, Allie Quigley. They both played on a, the same European team. That's why Brittany Griner obviously has had the situation that she's in in Russia because she was playing for an overseas team in Russia. So those leagues obviously exist for non-WNBA players as well. And so that's where a lot of them end up going. In terms of the specific people you, you asked about, Jill Townsend is playing overseas uh, Sierra Walker just signed overseas. Zakira Rice is playing overseas. Uh, the Worth Twins are not playing. Uh, they are living in the United States. I follow them on Instagram, so that's the only reason that I know. Uh, but they're they're not playing basketball currently. I think a lot of them end up not playing. We have some coaches. Keanu Albanez uh, is coaching a high school team in the Santa Barbara area. I know that for a fact. Katie Campbell, former guest on the Old Score Zag Score podcast, uh, she was rehabbing back from a knee injury, but she was planning to play at a lower-level American League. There are some of those uh, non-WNBA leagues in the United States. Uh, again, not particularly lucrative, uh, but it is an opportunity for these girls to, or these women to continue to play basketball uh, after their college playing careers are over. All right, that is going to do it for me today. We got a lot more fun stuff coming later this week. We're going to talk about the MLB draft and which Zags heard their name called for that. We are, of course, going to discuss the basketball tournament. We're going to discuss some of these pro-ams that are coming up. Summer League is over, so we got our final looks at Chet Holmgren, Andrew Nembhard until their NBA careers begin. So we're going to cover all of that this week right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Don't forget to check out my written content at scorezagscore, www.scorezagscore.com. Three to four new articles posted daily there. And finally, thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can become more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.